I'm humbled at the opportunity to uh, fill in for Pastor Ashley as he's on sabbatical, and uh, I say thank you, thank him for letting me do this. Also, I want to thank many of you who have been praying for my wife. She had some very major extensive surgery uh, back eight weeks ago, and it's been a long, long process and still many more weeks of recovery to go. So thank you for your prayers, and please continue to pray for her. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Father, I pray that you just speak to us this morning. It's not about me. It's not about anybody in here, but it's all about you and about following you. So speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. This past uh, Thursday was the National Day of Prayer, and I was, like many of you, were, were spending some time praying about our nation, and um, had a question that just kind of uh, came up, and it was simply this, that have we as Christians been destined to become a minority here in the United States of America? Um, I mean, here in the United States, uh, we've been saying all of my lifetime, we're a Christian nation. We have in God we trust on our, on our money. In the Pledge of Allegiance, we say we are one nation under God. And yet, when you look at the trends and the polls that are being taken and the statistics, one of the things you, you come away with, the conclusion that it's not going to be very long until we're going to be in the minority in our nation. I mean, consider the fact that, for instance, in 1999, 70% of Americans said that they were a member of a church. Now, that could be Roman Catholic Church. It could be LDS Church. It could be Jehovah's Witness. It could be in any one of evangelical church. But 70% of Americans said, we are members of a church. That was in 1999. But when you get to 2018, that figure has dropped to 50%. That means that only one out of every two people are members of a church. Two years later, in 2020, in the very same survey that was, was taken two years later, that number had dropped to 47%. So more people were not members of a church in America than were members of a church. Uh, just recently, in the past couple of months, another survey came out that said only 39% of Americans say that religion is important to them. This is the world in which we're living. Uh, you think about it, it wasn't too long ago that 90% of Americans said that they were Christians. You know, using that term very, very loosely, we might say. But as of 2020, only 64% in our nation use that term, Christian, to describe themselves. And so this loss of interest, this loss of affiliation with Christianity is also seen in the fact that today... Only 28% of our nation attend church one or two times every month. And so the word decline is probably a great description of what's going on with Christianity in, in America here. Uh, and so I ask the question, why? Why this sudden decline in commitment to Jesus Christ? Why this sudden decline in Christian identification and commitment? And you could go and you could list any number of reasons why that's true, why there's a decline. Let me just mention four. One of them is the pandemic. Let's just be honest. The pandemic sucked the life out of a lot of organizations, and the church was a part of that. Is that and we've been very slow in recovering. In fact, most churches have never rebounded 
to the level of attendance and membership that they had before the pandemic yet. Another thing that's happened is the rapid secularization of our society. We have been actively, I mean intentionally, pushing God to the side in our nation uh, in, in all sorts of different ways. We've just gotten rid of him. We don't want him in our, in our lives. We don't want him in our nation. We've pushed him aside. We've become very secular. Another reason that there's a decline is that of our hectic schedule, our busy lifestyle. People have other things to do other than sit for an hour on Sunday morning and be a part of a worship service. They've got more important. They, they, they got their priorities all messed up, of course, but that's one of the reasons. And then a fourth reason, and unfortunately, as Christians, we've shot ourselves in the foot, and that is the ongoing scandals that plague the church. Everywhere from sexual abuse scandals in church leadership to uh, charlatans who embezzle money in, through the guise of, of religion and so forth. So those are some reasons why there's been such a decline in Christianity in America. And yet, <laughs> one of the things that I would say is that there probably is a deeper problem than those things. I mean, there is a fundamental problem of why Christianity is on the decline, and that's simply this, that we have too many people who have embraced Christianity without discipleship. Too many people who have embraced Christianity without discipleship. That is, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians out there, but there's very few that we would say, yeah, they're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by discipleship? Well, what I'm really talking about should be the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is that of discipleship. In fact, the word disciple is used 280 times in the New Testament to describe those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have attached themselves to Jesus Christ as, as Savior and Lord. Um, the, the term disciple always meant, you know, there's a rabbi, there's a teacher, and he had students that were under him. And so the idea of being a disciple is to attach yourself to a teacher and to learn from him, learn his ways, learn his teachings. Incidentally, the name Christian is found only three times in the New Testament. The normal term for people who follow Jesus Christ was that of either disciples or simply followers. So the question I want to wrestle with is this, and that's simply this. Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? And, and for many people, the answer is yes. I mean, unfortunately, it would seem that we as evangelical Christians have kind of uh, accepted and, and even encouraged a two-level Christian experience where, you know, those who are really serious, <coughs> really serious in following Jesus Christ can pursue and practice discipleship, but all the rest can just say, you know what, uh, grace and forgiveness are enough for me, and, and, and I'm going to go on from there. Uh, the late Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy at USC, said this. He said, we have not only been saved by grace, but we have been paralyzed by it. And what he means is that the idea that for many, God's grace means that their sins are forgiven, 
And that's about all they need in life. That's all, you know, they don't need to go any further than that. It doesn't matter how they live because they've received God's forgiveness. It's the idea that we simply see faith as an agreement to a, a doctrinal test, and we understand, you know, that, that grace is the forgiveness of sin alone, and we have lost the thought that discipleship is really the norm of what Christianity is all about. And folks, when we lose discipleship, we lose vibrant Christianity. Dallas Willard went on, and you can see this on the screen here, to say this. Discipleship is the relationship I stand into Jesus Christ in order that I might take on his character. As his disciple, I am learning from him how to live my life in the kingdom as if he were I. The natural outcome is that my behavior is transformed. Increasingly, I routinely and easily do the things he said and did. In other words, we can't truly follow Jesus Christ without wanting and desiring to be like him. And that's what discipleship is all about, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ each and, each and every day. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, a German Lutheran pastor. Uh, during World War II, he stood up against Adolf Hitler, and subsequently in 1944, he was hanged for treason against uh, the Nazi regime. But he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he said this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And I would say to you, without Christ, there is no redemption. And so, therefore, the title Christian is just a label like Democrat or like Republican. It, it really has no meaning. To be a Christian, folks, is to be a disciple. And a disciple is one who's characterized by some key ideas of following, obeying, submitting, being transformed, being changed. And if you're no different today than you were the day you got saved, then I wonder if you really understand what Christianity is all about. Because it really is about change. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's about change. And yet, what we see in the lives of many people, people who, quote, call themselves Christians, is there's no change. There's, there's no difference in their lives. There's no transformation of their lives over time. How did we get to a place like this in our country? I, I, I think I could lay it at what I would call a, a tendency toward, well, for a better, one of a better term, what I would call the American gospel. The American gospel, which is really a non-discipleship Christianity. And let me explain what I mean by that. That is that people can become Christians without making any effort to submit and follow Jesus Christ and grow in him each and every day. And folks, that's tragic. I mean, if, if you really think about it, the typical tenets of what I'm calling the American gospel is this, that grace is limited to simple forgiveness. It, it's just limiting grace to simple forgiveness. We, we place the emphasis on conversion rather than the whole journey. We just got to get people saved. And what happens after that? No, who knows? It doesn't really matter. At least you're saved. And, and what do we do? We preach uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We preach that 
And we never get on to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good, uh, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we're not saved by works, but the works are the evidence that we're saved. They're, they're the, the, the proof that what's going on on the inside is genuine. And so, the, you know, the American gospel is simply limits grace to forgiveness. Boy, if you're forgiven, you're good to go. But also, it separates justification from sanctification. Uh, we have essentially taken salvation, we've kind of separated into two parts. You know, there's the new birth, that's part one, that's justification. We've been, been right, back into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then part two, which is sanctification, is that process of spiritual growth, of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And, and we've put emphasis on one, maybe we don't put emphasis on the other. But what we need to see is that it's not a two-part journey but it's one journey. There are two sides of the same coin that we need to be justified, but we also need to continue in sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. What did the old hymn writer say? We're to trust and obey. Justification, trusting, obedience, sanctification. And yet we've gone a different direction in our nation. A third thing is that this American gospel teaches that faith equals agreement with a set of facts, religious facts. Man, all you need to do is just believe, believe these set of, of beliefs, and you're going to be saved. There, there you are. And the problem is that we have created a, and taught a faith that doesn't transform people, that doesn't change their lives. Believing in Jesus Christ, folks, has no meaning. If we don't follow on in discipleship, believing without discipleship really isn't believing. It's just agreeing to a set of facts about a religious personality. And, and look at what we're producing. We are not producing reborn Christians, reborn people, who are daily seeking to become transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and, and to, to follow him through the great commission of making other disciples after us. Instead, what we're producing is we've con created consumers of religious goods and services. We got people who show up on, on Sunday and, and they say, hey, you know, hey, give me a good show on Sunday morning. Uh, give me a message that'll warm my heart. Make sure you got something for my kids that they don't get bored. Maybe throw in a small group where I can sit with other people and we can gossip and we can talk about the weather. But I don't, don't expect anything more from me than that. That's about all I want out of, out of church. And so in America, our tendency is to we attend church, and by the way, the average uh, uh, church person in, in America attends three out of every eight Sundays. We're just not very regular at it, okay? But the, the norm is to attend church, and we come, and we sit, and we listen for an hour, and then we leave, and we feel good about ourselves. Why? Because we have fulfilled our obligation. But what happens during the rest of the week is irrelevant. It, it really doesn't matter. Our lives aren't transformed. Our lives aren't, sub aren't submitted to Jesus Christ. We're not seeking to obey him. A and here's the problem I'm really emphasizing here, is that we're preaching a different gospel than what we find in, in, the, in the New Testament. The American gospel that really says, let's get everybody to make a decision for Christ. 
a gospel that simply says, you know, all I need to do is believe a certain set of facts and pray a, a short prayer, and I'm, I'm in. I got my sins forgiven. I got my ticket punched for heaven, and that's about all I need. And that's where a lot of people stop. But they never go beyond that. Never go beyond that. And that's a different gospel than what we see in the New Testament, where in the New Testament, the gospel of Christ declares that to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ in obedience every single hour of every single day, and you're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ more and more each and every day. And because we've been proclaiming a different gospel, we have a vast throng of people out here who think that they're Christians, that they're born again, that they're saved. When in reality, they're probably not because they're not following like a real follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, the proof is in the pudding. What did Jesus say in Matthew seven twenty one? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, look at that passage there. Do you, do you see there in Matthew seven twenty one? do you see the concept of obedience? You might want to, there in your notes, underline those words, he who does the will of my Father. That's obedience. That's what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, to be in obedience. And, and maybe, maybe we've made Christianity a little too easy. Uh, the, you know, the problem facing our church and every other church in America is that we've made it where people can be Christian without any effort to submit to and be obedient to Jesus Christ. There's little commitment that goes on in so many lives of people who call themselves Christians. And what this has done, this has led us to a point where uh, writer and pastor Bill Hull, he, he calls them barcode Christians. Got a lot of barcode Christians out there, people who believe the right things, but they don't follow Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that the real gospel calls on us to repent of our sins. That is, to turn from a lifestyle away from Jesus Christ and turn and go in a different direction, to renounce a, a sinful life. Don't go back to those habits, those, those things, and walk in a new direction entirely. It calls on us to obey Jesus Christ each and every day and as we follow him. And the evidence of salvation is not that I can say the right things, but the evidence is that I'm doing the right things, and I'm growing every day to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, the change is there. And, and so I'm not talking about earning salvation through what we do, but I'm talking about showing the evidence of salvation in our actions, in our words, and so forth. So the question that we really need to wrestle with is simply this. Does the gospel that we proclaim produce disciples? Or is it just producing consumers of religious goods and services? In other words, am I a real follower of Jesus Christ? And is it seen in my life every day as I'm living a little bit different than yesterday, as I'm reflecting Jesus Christ a little bit more in all that I'm doing? Or is, am I a phony? Am I just a follower in name only and my life has no, is no different than the world around me on Monday through Saturday? And Sunday, suddenly I'm, I'm on you know, I'm a Christian, and then the rest of the week, there's no evidence. What I'm talking about is being a committed disciple. What does it mean to be a committed disciple? That's what I want to talk about in the time we got left this morning, and then we're going to look at this the next two weeks. 
What does it really mean to be a disciple? Now, let me set some background to help us know what it means to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple. Let's go back to the very beginning of the Christian experience. Uh, if you look in your notes there, if you've got your Bible, you can open them to Mark chapter 1. And I want to look at just verses 16 through 18. Mark 1, 16 through 18. All of that before was introduction, a long introduction, okay? All right, but let's look at what does it really mean to be a disciple. Mark writes this, and he says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, as we consider what it means to be a disciple, let me just give you some things that will help you. When Jesus began his ministry, uh, he settled in Capernaum in an area that's known as the Triangle that was made up of three cities, Bethsaida, Chorazim, and Capernaum. Uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John and Philip were all from Bethsaida. Later, it seems that Peter and Andrew, maybe the others as well, moved to Capernaum where Jesus was residing. It was at Capernaum that Jesus called Matthew to leave his tax collector booth and, and follow him. And so this area, the triangle, Bethsaida, uh, Chorazin, and Capernaum were a hotbed of rabbinical communities. That is, communities of rabbis or master teachers and their pupils, their disciples, uh, that they were learning from them. In fact, these three communities were the leading centers of discipleship, of Jewish discipleship in both Galilee and in, Ju in Judea. And so discipleship in that first century world, in that Jewish world, uh, really involved three things. It involved community, it involved adherence to the Word of God, study of the Word of God, and attachment to a rabbi or to a teacher. So first there was the community, okay? And it was centered in the synagogue. And, it, and the synagogue's teaching of boys and most likely girls as well. They, these children would begin synagogue school, which was called Beth Sefer. They would begin at the age of about four or five, and they would study the Torah, and they would memorize the Torah. And I'm talking about the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And most of the students would have memorized by the time they finished Beth Sefer, that elementary school at the age of 12, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would have it memorized. And, and then at this point, Schooling was, was finished for most of the boys and f for all of the girls. They, they, would, they were not the best of the students. And so uh, the, 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 the boys that weren't the best would return home and they would learn the family trade and they would begin working in the, in the family uh, business or occupation. But the better students, though, would go on to enter secondary school called Beth Midrash. And here they, along with other adults in the community, they would study the prophets and other parts of the Old Testament. And in addition, they would learn the oral traditions of Judaism and how it applied to their daily life. And then of these students, the best of the best 
maybe had a desire to learn more, to have further their, their learning in, in the, the law of, and, and the ways of Judaism. And so what they would do is they would look at these different schools of rabbis who were teaching, and they would select one that really resonated with them. And they would go to that rabbi, and they would say, I would like to be your student. And then the rabbi would say, sure, come on. And, and they would be selected to be a part of the rabbi's uh, Talmudin, which meant his students. But they were not students in the way that you and I know. They, don't just, they weren't just coming and sitting down and taking notes and listening to what he was teaching. But instead, it was much more in, extensive than that. It was a total immersion into the teachings, into the ways, into the lifestyle of the rabbi. In fact, an old rabbinical saying of this whole experience of following a rabbi was this, may you follow so closely that you are covered with the dust of your rabbi. It was this idea of being totally immersed in the life and the teachings of that rabbi. And in fact, there were five different areas where, where uh, they, they hooked up with that rabbi. First of all, the disciple would submit and attach himself to that teacher. You know, those young Jewish men could join uh, the best of the best. They could join any one of the schools that were there, uh, each led by a master rabbi or a, or a teacher. And in most cases, they would approach that teacher and say, I want to be a part of your school. And, and so they were attached to one teacher, to one rabbi. And second, then that disciple would learn the words of the teacher. He would learn the teacher's stories. He would learn his life habits. He would learn how he interprets the Torah. He would learn all the things that that man wanted to teach him. And all of this, folks, would be committed to memory. They learned verbatim memory. Um, that gives me great confidence in the words of Jesus in our New Testament because those disciples, the learning pattern of the day was to learn by memory verbatim. And so when we look at the words of Jesus, we can be assured that's what he said because that was their learning style. And so it, it, the disciple learned the words of the teacher. The third thing, a disciple learned the ways of the teacher, the way of ministry of the teacher. He learned, you know, how the teacher kept God's commands, how he kept the Sabbath and how he prayed and how he fasted, how he did blessings at certain sacred occasions. He would also learn the rabbi's teaching methods and <clears throat> many traditions that the master followed. They would learn the ways of ministry and how that, that rabbi led, led that kind of life. And then fourth, that disciple would begin to imitate the rabbi and his life and, and his character. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 40, that when a disciple is fully taught, he, quote, will be like his teacher, end quote. See, that was the highest calling of a disciple, to imitate his teacher. And then fifth, and eventually, that disciple would find others, and he would teach other disciples in the ways and the words of the rabbi that he had been taught. See, a disciple was expected to reproduce what he had learned by finding and training his own apprentices. This is what it meant to follow a rabbi. I mean, think about it. It was a wholehearted, 24-7, no-holes-barred commitment that, that centered in that rabbi. I mean, their whole life revolved around that rabbi, his message, his methods, his ministry, his mission. That was their whole world. Now, the difference between Jesus and his disciples and all these other rabbis and his disciples lay in one small but really critical detail. 
And that is simply this, that for all those other rabbis, here was a bright young student who would go and say, I want to attach myself to you. I choose you to be my teacher. What did Jesus do? He went and he found his own disciples. In fact, John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. So how then does this translate to us here in the 21st century? Because these words here in John 15, 16, they apply to you. They apply to me as well. I mean, we've been called by God. God has said to us, come and follow me. And so we've been chosen by God, and we've been appointed to bear fruit in our own lives and in the lives of others as well. So the question is, how are you doing in following? Have you ever stopped and evaluated your discipleship, your following of Jesus Christ? First of all, are you attached and submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Here's these 12. And for a period of time, maybe the first several months, they had been periodically or sporadically following Jesus. They would go back to fishing, and then they would go follow Jesus for a while, and then they would be back. But there came a point when they made that commitment to be 24-7 with Jesus Christ, to be his disciples. Well, what about our own self, our own lives? Do we live in a a 24-hour-a-day awareness that we belong to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that we're to be obedient to all that he calls us to do? Um, Maybe that's where some of you need to start, with an attachment to Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Lord of your life. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I've blown it. I have messed my life up so badly, and I need you to come in and give me that forgiveness of sin, but that's not all I want. I want to follow you every day, becoming more and more and more like you. If you need to do that today, this is a good occasion to do that, to make Jesus Christ your rabbi, your Lord, your Savior. And we can talk with you further about how do you do that? How do you put Jesus Christ as number one in your life? How do you bring him into your heart? The second thing, let me just ask the question. Are you learning the words of your master? Are are you spending time in his words? Sadly, most of the statistics, the studies that are out there, find that about one-third of Christians spend time every day in God's word. About one-third find the Word of God so important that they're taking 5 or 10 or 15 minutes to study the Word of God. What about you? I mean, think about it. Those 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 10-year-old kids, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. And some here in this room have never even read the first five books of the Bible. What are you doing in God's Word? How is that working in your life? Are you following in the, in the way of, of simply learning what Jesus Christ is saying to you? And then third, are you learning how he expects you to live and to serve and to minister? In other words, do you know what Jesus expects of your life? That's where study of the word comes in. Are you living in accordance with his will? Or are you just a, obeying him, you know, occasionally when it's convenient? And are you serving, are you ministering like your rabbi, Jesus Christ, serving with love and compassion and concern and caring for people all around you? Uh, Another one of those statistics is the fact that in the average church in America, only about 10% of the people are involved in serving or in ministry in some way. All the rest are show up on Sunday and then leave. And only 10% are involved in serving and helping in the church. 
Sean, could 22nd Street use some more people to work? Sure, absolutely. So there's an area where maybe that's the next step you need to take. If I'm going to be a disciple, maybe I need to get involved in ministry or serving in some way. And then how about imitating Christ's lifestyle? That lifestyle of love and care and compassion for other people and, and holiness. Folks, Christians need to be different than the world around them. And it needs to show through in the holiness of our life. That's an important part. And then finally, are we leading others to follow Jesus Christ? 22nd Street has, uh, we talk a lot about who's your one. Who's the one person that you're praying for, that you're working with, seeking to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ? But let's go beyond that, okay? Let's talk about who is the one that you're pouring your life into to help them to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus didn't say we're to go and make converts to our way of thinking. What does he say? We're to go and make disciples, people that are growing in faith in Jesus Christ. So who is the one that you're helping to grow? Parents, are you spending some intentional time with your kids teaching them how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to share their faith. Are you intentional in doing that? Uh, how are you doing with your spouse? How are you doing with other people in your life? Spending your time, pouring your life into them so that they can grow in Jesus Christ as well. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It simply means that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am daily trying to live in trust and obedience toward him. Look at this last verse there in your notes. Acts 11:26. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now catch this verse. Catch this verse. They were disciples before they were called Christians. We've got it backwards. We want people to be Christians and then maybe they'll get to discipleship. But that's not the pattern. And what is a disciple? He submits himself attaches himself to, his, to Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. He learns the words of Jesus. He learns the ways of Jesus, uh, how Jesus ministered. He imitates Jesus' life and his character, and he finds and disciples others to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't want you to follow Jesus from a distance. Instead, my prayer for you is, that you will follow Jesus Christ so closely that you'll be covered in the dust of your rabbi, Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer.